have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 32 with a message entitled, Out with the Old and In with the New. Out with the Old, In with the New. Now, have you guys ever had a closet or a drawer get to the point where you couldn't pack one more article of clothing in them? Come on, I know there's some of you out there. Right, so what do you, what do you have to do in that moment. In order to get some clothes in, you got to take some clothes out. And so you go in and you identify, all right, these are my lucky socks, but they have holes in them. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to part with them because I got my new socks. And, and in order to even get this drawer to close, then you got to go out with the old and in with the new. And in a similar way, we're going to talk today about how you and I are to put off and get rid of our old lives without Jesus which is referred to as the old man. And we are to put on the new life that God has given us, which is, of course, the new man. This truth that we're going to talk about today, listen, is foundational to your walk with the Lord. You want to have a relationship with God? You want to live a victorious Christian life where you are used by God and you come to the end of your life fulfilled and you could say mission accomplished? then you have to understand what we're talking about today. If you don't, you ain't going to make it very far. And so as we get back into Ephesians 4, we pick it up where we left off last week talking about spiritual gifts. Last week, we talked about the importance of the unity, the community of God's people, but that doesn't mean we're all the same. There's still a diversity of different gifts that God has given his church that we might be encouraged, equipped, and edified. And so we're going to be starting in verse 17 today. I hope you guys have your Bibles turned there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can always uh, raise your hand and we can try to give you one. Now, we're going to try to finish off the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians today. And uh, we come to yet another therefore. Everyone say therefore. So this is a word that in chapters four and five is repeated eight times. If you're taking notes, that's something noteworthy. Therefore, that, that compound word is mentioned eight times. It's declared eight times. And why is this the case? Well, remember, the first three chapters were about what Christ has done for us. And then the second half is what you and I ought to do for Christ. Another way to say therefore is in light of this. And so in light of all that we have been learning, it's time to put the pedal to the metal. Now listen, the Bible was written to be obeyed, not just learned. Right now we're, we're doing Bible study. And that is when we are to lean in, have our Bibles ready, our, our notes ready, and, and seek for the understanding of what God's word has said. But if that's all where Bible study ends, something is wrong. The Bible study that we learn here should then translate and move in to our life this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day. And then when we come Wednesday night, we learn more and then we go back and we begin to implement. We begin to do. It's not a magical book that just because you studied it on a Sunday means you're going to automatically do it on a Monday. It's got to have intention. It's got to be applied. And so listen, when we hear the word, we should then do the word, okay? So when we hear the word, what do we do? 
We go and do the word. And so let's read our passage and dive in today. You guys can stand with me for the reading of God's word. We do this out of honor, respect, and reverence for the God of heaven and his word to us. We'll start in verse 17, and then we'll read down to verse 32. It's a pretty good chunk, so don't, don't, don't start thinking about uh, lunch later. It'll, it'll be there. You guys will get fed. I, I sure hope so. Um, but look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness." Wow. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore. Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Fathers, we come to your word. We pray that you'd bless the study of it. Lord, that it would not just stay here, but it would move from our minds to our heart into our lives. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Well, we are looking at this passage about the old life and the new life. And so the first thing that I want you guys to note down is the old life. We find this in verses 17 through 19. We read a huge chunk of it. This is what we are to put off. We got to take it out, lay it aside before we can walk in what God has for us. And so we're going to walk through the passage together. But first, notice this first chunk, verses 17 through 19. Paul continues to testify to the Ephesians that they should leave their past in the past where it belongs. Before Jesus, they walked like everybody else. They were on that broad and easy road that leads to destruction that Jesus talked about. Notice in verse 17, he says that you should no longer walk or live like the rest of the Gentiles. The idea is the rest of the world. A Gentile is someone simply without God. That that would be the reference here. And you'll notice then in verses 18 and 19, there's kind of this list of how we used to live 
or listen, how we would live without Jesus. You know, it's kind of f- funny talking to junior hires be- about this topic because you're, you're 12, you're 13, you're 14. That's awesome. But your old life, like you were, your old life would be like when you're five. Like you don't have, none of you have this like crazy past uh, of, of, you know, I used to ride with the gangs and, and I used to, you know, do things like I rode the rails and did what I wanted. And you, like, for the most part, you don't necessarily have that kind of, but some of you might, some of you might have this transition where you can remember where you were one way and you did, and you disobeyed mom and dad, you did this, and now you live this way. But some of you, you might not have that. Some of you are like, no, like I've never had this like, um, you know, type of like this stark transition. But all of us know that we have a nature in us that is contrary to what the Bible teaches. Meaning we have this nature about us, this, this, in a sense, this person we live with that wants us to do the wrong thing wants us to live for ourselves, away from God. That is called the old man. It's the old way of life. And it's old because Jesus has given you new life. And so if you're a believer in here, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that you are now a new creation in Christ. And so an unbeliever has one nature. It's the sin nature. And it is not old or the new man. It is just the man or person they live with and it's themselves and they can't help but to sin against God. But when someone becomes a believer, now it's really weird. They live with two natures and they battle against each other. The Bible talks about this as the flesh and the spirit, that you have this, this, this nature that wants to live for yourself and then you have this nature that desires to live for God and they clash with one another. And Paul here gives some of those characteristics that you'll find in verse 17, 18, and 19. He'll say that the old man has futile minds or a mind of futility. The idea of futility is emptiness. It's not that an unbeliever's mind is empty. They think about plenty of things, but it's that what they think about leads to emptiness. It leads to nothing. You'll notice, look in your Bibles, that they have darkened minds, darkened understanding, alienated from God, ignorant, having blind hearts. That means they are hard-hearted, calloused. Notice verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 19, being past feeling. That is to lose sensitivity. That those without God can come to a place of past feeling, uh, meaning that they no longer feel guilty or shame about what they do. Listen, if you're in this room and you have grown accustomed to doing something wrong, but no longer feel bad about it, that is a very dangerous place to be. The Bible would say that you have a seared conscience. You are past feeling, meaning that you were born with a conscience. And, And in that conscience, God has put this morality this knowing right from wrong. And then he has confirmed it in his word. But some people can disobey God so much. It's not that they don't know God. They just reject him. They, they, it's not that they are in darkness and they never had a chance to come to the light. The idea of what's being said here is that they chose not to. And over time, after disobeying so much that they become numb to the feeling of sin, 
Listen, if you become numb to the feeling of sin, meaning you can do something and not feel, whether it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit or guilt, remorse, or shame, you're in a very dangerous spot and you need to repent and come to the Lord and ask him to give you that sensitivity back. And so what are we to do with this old life, this old way of thinking? Well, notice verse 22, look in your Bibles. He says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, notice put off in verse 22 means to take off, to put away, to lay aside. It's the word picture of literally how someone would take off an article of clothing. Acts chapter 7 verse 58 uses this same word, and I think it's helpful for us to understand the meaning of the word. Acts chapter 7 is where we find Stephen being killed for his faith, the first martyr of the church. And some of us who have heard the Bible story of Saul and Paul know this well, that at that time they cast him out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so we have a picture of those who were involved in this murder. They took off their coats and they laid them down. That's what it means to put off. It's to take off and to lay aside. And the Bible tells us that you and I are to do away with this old man, meaning it doesn't happen naturally. You get saved, you now have two natures. Yes, the old man is dead, but you have to put him back in the grave every single day. It doesn't happen naturally. It has to be intentional. Now, when, when old man is said, this isn't talking about your dad. Oh, that's my old man. Okay, we want you to keep your dad, but it's referring to notice the former conduct. It's not referring to your dad, and it's not just referring to men. When it says old man, it is a reference to mankind. And so ladies, sorry to say, you are not off the hook for this. Old man is the idea where we even see in Genesis where God says, I've created mankind, male and female. Might I add only male and female, okay? And, and so listen, this includes all of us, that this old person, this old way of life, and you're like, I'm only 12. You have an old way of life if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then that's just your way of life and get saved so then you can have an old way of life. That would, be, that would be much more beneficial for you. Paul says something similar here in Colossians chapter three, verses eight through 10. When it says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Do you see the, the similar language here in the book of Colossians? Put off some of these, and those are some of the characteristics or attributes of the old nature. And so we are to put off the old man. Does that make sense? Now notice verse 22. We're given a description of this old nature, and we're told that it grows corrupt. Do you guys see that? Verse 22, it grows corrupt over time. It gets worse. It's like if you leave sweaty clothes on, it's not going to all of a sudden you're like, well, if I just give it a couple more days and don't take them off, it's going to get better. It's not. 
it's going to get worse. You will smell worse. Now, you might not smell it, but others sure will. And in a similar way, this old nature we have isn't going to take care of itself. It's got to be constantly, daily, put back where it belongs, which is dead. The Bible says we have died to sin and been given new life in Jesus. Romans 6, 6 illustrates this when it says, knowing this, that our old man, old woman, old nature was, that means past tense, was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So does this mean that a Christian never sins? Of course not. A Christian still sins, but you and I have been given the power over it. You see, an, a non-believer, someone without the Holy Spirit, they don't even have the ability not to sin. They are slaves to their sin. They have to do it. They don't think they have to do it. They think they want to do it. But just like every drug addict thinks they, they want to do, right? It's like, no, I, I could stop anytime. No, you can't. You see, they don't even realize, and we with our old nature, if we didn't have this new nature, would still be a slave to our sin. But God has freed us. And so you and I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Were we there at the cross? Were we with Jesus when he got crucified? Physically, no. But the wild thing that for a Christian, you not only get the life of Jesus, that means you're going to live forever, you get the death of Jesus too. And we're very glad about that. We're glad not only that he raised from the dead, but we're glad that he died because now you and I, we just have to do every day what Jesus already did, which is to kill the old man. And the Bible uses very aggressive terms, crucify the flesh. Jesus says, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. What is he talking about? Pick up your cross. Do we have to like wear a cross necklace? Is there like a wooden cross we should be carrying around? No, it's the idea of death. Cross is a symbol of death. And you and I every day have to determine the old person, me without Jesus, don't like him. God doesn't like him. And so today he is going to die. Now, it's a wild thing to say, but it's balanced. It's balanced with, of course, the new life. Because God didn't just give us the power to put to death our old nature. We don't have to live in it. But he has given us the power to walk in the newness of life that he has given us. And we find this in verses 20 and 21 and 23 and 24. Listen, you and I are not just to focus on what we shouldn't do. Some Christians kind of have that focus. They just like, okay, if I can just get through the day not doing something dumb. They're like, okay, that's a pretty decent goal. It's, but it shouldn't just be that. It should be balanced with focusing on how we are to live. I think some Christians really miss out on the fullness of a relationship with God because they're, they're still suck on, stuck on how I don't sin. That is a, that's a big deal. And, and of course, every, we're going to deal with that till the day we die. But there's so much more. God wants to not just take the evil stuff out of your life. He wants to replace it with good things. And so that's why as we are to actively put off the old man, the old way of life, we are to actively put on the new man, the new way, the new life. 
and you cannot properly do one without the other. They are inseparable concepts. I want you to note this down. It's a replacement, not an addition. Okay, this is very important. Putting off and putting on is not an addition, it's a replacement. Meaning if you have dirty clothes on, you're not gonna fix that by putting on clean clothes. You have to first take off the dirty ones, hopefully put them in the hamper, and then put on the new ones. It's not gonna help you if you put new, it's not gonna hide the stink, it's not. It's going to come through eventually. It's not a replacement, sorry, it's not an addition, it's an outright replacement. And we are to be going out with the old and in with the new. And you will not be able to properly keep that old nature off if you don't put this new one on. So you could singularly focus, I'm just gonna really try to, to kill that old nature that, got, that was crucified with Christ. But if you don't begin to put on Jesus and put on this new life, then eventually that, that old man is gonna come right back in place. Now look at verse 23. Verse 23 is sandwiched in the middle of putting off and putting on. In verse 21, um, yeah, verse 21, let me, let me actually look at my Bible. Yeah, so look at verse 22. Verse 22, put off. Verse 24, put on. In between that is verse 23, which says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here is how I believe we find the how to actually do this. How do you put off and how do you put on? The battle, we're told, belongs in the mind and it's up to being renewed. This word renewed, it means to reestablish in a like new and improved manner. Now, how does this happen? How do we put off and put on? I would think many of you, I would hope all, know how to take off and put on clothes. I'm hoping that at this stage in your life, mommy doesn't have to help you with that. Like that's something that you can do on your own. Um, now, your mom might still lay out your clothes. That's okay. That's another, another topic for another day. But you know how to do that. But how do we do this spiritually? How do we take off this old, because you're, you're you. You don't have like two parts, but there is two natures in you. There's two ways that you could choose. Now, people have kind of known this reality. And that's why in, you know, in movies and shows, they'll have like the two, like you have like the nice angel and the, the evil devil on the, on the, on the shoulders. Now that, that concept they've stolen from the Bible. That's not actually how it is. Um, but but it, it, it can be an illustrative truth that you, you have in a sense these two ways you can go and that is why you need to notice be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is where the battle takes place. It's not a physical thing you do. It is a mindset that you have. And it's a mindset that we are to daily have, but we need this renewing. Notice what Colossians 3.10 says. And, ha and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. It is as we learn Christ and are taught by him and have heard him from his word that this transition 
can begin to take place. Listen, if you are not connected to Jesus by reading his word personally and connecting with him in prayer personally, outside of even family devos and sermons you may hear, but you have your Bible in hand and you are reading it and that you are connecting with him in prayer more than just a prayer before meal and a prayer at night. If you are not doing that, then you are not being renewed as you should. And so you are then going to struggle with the old man more than you need to. You see, we, we encourage you to read the word and pray, not just because that's what you should do. That's what God says to do, though that's good enough. But it is the best thing for you. It is how you can begin to live in this life, uh, this new life. Uh, in the next chapter, we're going to find that the word of God is like a cleansing agent. We wash our minds with it, and we are able to then walk and live as we should. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Romans 13. So if, if you, um, you want to put a little ribbon, if you have one, or you can put a little pen in your spot in Ephesians, we're going to be back but I want to show you a passage in the book of Romans. Romans is a few books to the left of the book of Ephesians. So if you're in Ephesians, turn pages to the left. You'll find Galatians, then you'll find 2 Corinthians, you'll find 1 Corinthians, and then you'll arrive at the book of Romans. It is always important for us to compare Scripture with Scripture. And Romans 13 is a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 4. I've shared with you two verses from the book of Colossians chapter three. That's another parallel passage. You guys know what it means, parallel, right? So if you have parallel lines, there are two lines that go right next to each other. And so these passages are closely related. They are helpful to understand uh, the, the right meaning when you read both of them together. And so look at Romans 13 verses 11 through 14. You guys there? If you're there, say word. Verse 11, and do this, knowing the time. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Get out of bed. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We're that much closer to seeing Jesus. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off, put off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And notice verse 14 is the key. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Every day, the first step is to recognize, okay, this is that old nature. This is that old man. I have this desire I have this wanting to do this certain something and I know it's wrong. That's when you say, nope, I, I have a new life in Jesus and so I'm gonna put Jesus on and I'm gonna make no provision for the flesh. The idea of making no provision is making no excuses, no exceptions, no plans to sin. But we gotta remember that these things go together. Put off, put on. Put off, Put on. You guys ever seen the Karate Kid? Yes. Wax on, 
Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. Okay, now you just switch it and switch the words. Okay, everyone say, put off. Put on. Do it with me. Put off. Put on. Okay, that is, the, the, that is what the Bible tells us to do every day. And if you want to live the Christian life that God has called you to live, this is a must. And so I'm really grateful that it doesn't end here. We have a handful more verses to go. And in verses 25 and 32, it gives us, Paul gives us some examples of what this looks like, okay, practically. Because I think it's a good practice that when we wake up in the morning, that this is something we're conscious of, uh, that we are, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know my deceitful heart and I know what, how my flesh wants to live today, but I want to live and I want to put on Jesus today. That's a good thing. But it'll also be helpful to practice this in the midst of temptation or even in the midst of us sinning. Because sometimes when you're sinning, you recognize, oh shoot, okay, I need to get right with God. And this is part of repentance. When we repent of something we do, we don't just acknowledge, but we then act on it, meaning we act differently. We say, okay, God, I confess, I acknowledge this was wrong, and I did this. But have you ever done that, and then like 10 minutes later, you do the exact same thing that you just repented of? How does that work? How does that happen? Well, our sin nature is pretty strong at times. And so one way for that not to continually happen, as Christians, we're going to sin. But as Christians, we should never habitually commit the same sin. Habitually. Think about the word habit. Week in and week out. If there's something that you are struggling with week in and week out, day in and day out, there's something wrong. You might be trying to put it off, but there's something that you are not replacing it with. And Paul is going to give five examples of how this should look. Okay, so notice number one, the topic of lying. Uh, listen, I didn't bring this up. Paul brings this up. Look at verse 25. We see that, therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is pretty simple. Put away is the same word as to put off. So there's this acknowledgement. Okay, lying is a sin against God. Well, I'm, I'm going to seek not to do that. That's not enough. You got to replace it. Listen, our lives cannot be these empty voids of I'm just not going to lie. Well, rather than just trying not to lie, why don't you seek to replace it with truth? It says, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. He quotes from the book of Zechariah. And so we see this example of put off, but then put on truth. Now, ultimately, Jesus, the Bible says, is truth. His word is truth. That's a good place to start. And so we should replace that with seeking, okay, well, Let's say if, if you just are lying to your parents on a, on a daily basis and you've just have been lying to them about where you are or what you're doing or what homework, or what chores you've done. Okay, instead of just not lying, why don't you seek to speak truth to your parents? Like communicate with them truthfully more than you normally would. And so now you create this new spiritual discipline and habit of like, okay, I'm not just gonna not lie. Like I'm gonna seek 
to speak the truth. Does that make sense? So put off, put on, all right? Second one, anger. Verse 26 and 27, the next topic that he gives an example of is be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. I love this one. This is so wise. Now notice here, unlike lying, he doesn't say put off anger, but rather put it in its place. Psalm 4.4 is the quotation that he, he quotes. So if you have your Bibles open, if you look at verse 26, you should see quotations around be angry and do not sin. He gets this. He's drawing from the book of Psalms. Psalm 4.4, which should be easy to remember. Listen, if, you're ever, if you are ever angry, go to Psalm 4.4. It'll give you great instructions. Because anger is not a sin. But what happens as a result of our anger, often then, then our anger does become a sin. Psalm 4.4 gives really wise advice. Not only, okay, be angry and do not sin. It's like, okay, like you just told me not to do something. No, no, it gives further instructions. When that happens, maybe you are bottled up with anger. You're about to say something and do something you regret. Basically, it says, meditate within your heart, on your bed, be still. Get away from everyone and chill out, all right? And, and, and I think the idea of being still and meditating, we have from other ideas like, okay, bring the Lord into this and have him calm your emotions down. Because God at times is angry. It's not a sin. God's not in heaven sinning because he is angry with wickedness. The problem that you and I have is often we just can't handle our anger. Maybe it's quick-tempered. But you see, our anger is to be slow. If you have a short fuse, it's sinful. If you have a hot head, it's sinful. And so sin, anger is not a sin when we are slow to anger and it's short-lived. Notice what it says. Look at verse 26. It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. This is the idea is that you are not to live in long-term anger. So there might be something that upsets you, and it might be super justifiable. That's fine. Be angry, don't sin, like don't do anything you're going to regret. But by the time that your head lays the pillow, you then need to give that anger to its rightful place, which is to the Lord. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I love that. Give place to wrath. That you and I, God knows that we can't handle, and it's not good for us to be angry all the time. We should be filled with joy, love, happiness, of course. Now, but there might be things in life that make us angry. Like, that's okay. It's not a sin. But by the end of the day, God says, you give it to me, and you go to sleep. You rest. I'll take it because I will make, he says, vengeance is mine. He says, whatever made you angry, he says, by the end of, by the end of history, I will make it right. Okay, make sense? Now, the last thing, look, verse 27 is added on to this topic of anger, though. It says, nor give place to the devil. Meaning when we get angry quick and we stay angry, we provide room for the devil in our life. We basically give him occasion and opportunity. We say, hey, 
uh, Satan, why don't you come on into my life and, and hang out for a little while? But when we, when we are slow to anger, and by the end of the day, we give our anger to the Lord, we shut the door in Satan's face and say, not this time, okay? So put off being quick-tempered and put on placing anger will belong. You guys got it? All right, number three, the third example is a helpful one, stealing. Verse 28, I love the clarity of this verse. He says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. What is the opposite of stealing something that is not yours? Giving something that is yours. And so he says, hey, stop stealing. But he doesn't just end there. That's what you're to put off. You got to do that. You can't be like super generous to people while stealing from other people, okay? Those things don't go hand. So you got to put off, but then you got to put on of like, hey, go get a job. Mow your neighbor's grass, wash your friend's car and make money so that then you are, if stealing is an issue, for some of you, you just might have a natural sinful tendency. You're like, I just love stealing things. You're like, ooh, there's money. I'm gonna take it. Like you just like, you know, your, your mom's purse is there and you just find yourself like, oh, you, just gotta, you gotta like stop. You might have that natural inclination. That's, that's it's not okay, but if you gotta know that about yourself, you gotta know your own sinful heart so then you can be like, okay, if stealing is my issue, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start being generous. I'm going to go and work hard, and I'm going to put stealing in its place by being generous, because that is going to counteract the sinfulness of my own heart. Do you see the principle we're getting at? He's just giving examples, but there's a lot more sins that we deal with. There's this principle of replacement, Okay. The fourth thing is speech. Verse 29, this is applicable for us all. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to, excuse me, to the hearers. No corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. This, this word corrupt, it means unwholesome, harmful, offensive. Some would go further that it means rotten, putrid, and filthy. This is not just cuss words. This is anything that is harmful or offensive uh, to, to other people. It's, it's unwholesome. It's not good. Now, some could look at this and say, well, if no corrupt word proceeds out of my, is to proceed out of my mouth, is to go from what I say, then I'll just, I'll just talk less. Now, the problem with that is that the mouth is only representing of what's in the heart. And so if you just talk less, there, there can be wisdom, right? Proverbs says, in, you know, when, when someone says fewer words, um, then, then they're going to sin less. Basically, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So that, that's wise. But you're not going to get very far because your heart's still the issue. And so Paul doesn't say just, it's just better to keep quiet. He says, replace corrupt speech with good speech. That's that which is necessary for edification, Edification is that same word we looked at last week, the purpose of spiritual gifts. It means to build up, meaning what you are saying is it building people up because we know that there is power in the tongue. That's what Proverbs tells us, for life and death. You could speak life to someone or you could speak death and we are to replace the corruption with goodness. Make sense? All right, the fifth and final one is kind of a catch-all. 
uh, in, the, in these last few verses, he mentions a handful of different things we we're to put off and put on. And so that's why I just kind of entitled it kind of catch all. It, it's, it's all encompassing. But notice verse 30. Verse 30 kind of breaks away from the example pattern and inserts something very important that you and I need to know. Notice verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed with the day of redemption. It's a wild thought to think that our actions can cause God emotional sorrow and pain. Now, I don't think so much that he, you know, he's like, um, it hurts him in the way of like, he stumbled at something we did. I think it's connected to his love for us. If God didn't love us, then he wouldn't care about what you did. He'd be like, yeah, whatever. Like, we'll judge you at the end and we'll deal with it then. But when we don't put off and put on, God loves us so much that he's like, no. He's like, oh, if you just, oh, I want the most for you. That's why he gives us commandments. Spurgeon puts it like this. He is grieved with us mainly for our own sakes, for he knows what misery sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows in our sins. He grieves over us because he sees how much discipline or chastisement we incur and how much communion or fellowship with God we lose. That when we sin, we can actually, you see, the Holy Spirit's not just this magical force. He is a person. He's one of the, the, the persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and who? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a who. He's a who who can feel. And he feels it when we sin against him because of his love for us. And so uh, we kind of end here just quickly, verse 31, 32. We, we see six put-offs and three put-ons. Okay, just note that down. There are six things that we're to put off. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, with all malice. And three things that we are to put on. Kindness, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But catch the end. Look at the very end of, of chapter four of the book of Ephesians, verse 32. And we'll end here. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Listen to the rationale here. He says, why should you do this? Why should you forgive someone? Someone that's wronged you, why forgive them? Someone who did something against you, why should you not hold bitterness and anger against them? Why should you treat them kindly and tenderly? Well, the example, the motivation, the rationale is because what God has done for us. God isn't bitter towards us, but he has every right to hold things against us, but he doesn't. God isn't wrathful toward us. God isn't angry toward us because of Christ. God doesn't clamor, or that, that word is to shout at. God doesn't shout at us. God doesn't speak evil toward us. He is kind. He is tenderhearted. He forgives us. And so, listen, our ultimate motivation to do anything in life is because it's been done for us. Any kindness, any goodness that we show anyone else, it's like, well, God just was super good to me. He forgave me of my sin. He sent, he, he sent his son to die on the cross that I might not have to pay the penalty for my sin. And so do you deserve forgiveness? Absolutely not. But am I going to forgive you? 
Absolutely. Not because of me, not because I'm so good, not because of this new man that I created. No, this new man, this new person, this new way of living, God has done, and we then just walk in it. Amen? Well, Father in heaven, we do thank you for that you have forgiven us. Even as God has forgiven us in Christ. Outside of Jesus, we know there's no forgiveness. Outside of Jesus, we're going to face your wrath and it's going to be righteous. It's going to be good. But we're so glad we're in Jesus today. We're so glad that you have found us and saved us and reached out to us. You drew us to yourself. And God, we pray that as we leave this place, we would begin to implement this putting off and putting on. And just like Lord in the Karate Kid, it became a habit. It became something that became second nature. Lord, we pray that over time, we wouldn't have to necessarily even think about it. That supernaturally, you would form these habits and discipline in our lives that it would really become who we are. And God, we know that there is no chance we can do that without you. We need you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit who saved us in the first place. And we know that it's gonna be you who walks us every step toward heaven. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.